You guys are not being responsive. You guys nodding your head up and down, thinking I can hear you or something? Mm -hmm. Vigorously agreeing. (laughs) Thumbs up, eh? Air quotes all around. All right. So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 254 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. Okay, so we'll dig in, eh? Uh, do we have an Ask MTJC? I didn't even look. Yep, no, no, uh, ask him TJC this week. Everyone else had summer vacation. That's sad. Well, it's been a slow news yeah. week, I think. Yeah, at least stateside, you know, we've got a probably a two day week, or sorry, a two day um, uh, holiday next week for the 4th of July, Independence Day. Oh, it's Tuesday um, the 4th? Uh, no, it's Wednesday. On, uh, sorry, Thursday, Thursday the 4th. A lot of folks will take Friday. Some folks will take Oh, I taking, see, right, right. You yeah. know, the week of next, maybe even, you know, a couple of days already this week. So it's a pretty easy way right. to turn, you know, Three, four days of PTO into almost 10 days yeah. <laughs> of time. Well, off. our Canada Day is supposed to be the 1st of uh, July. When does that land? That is on Monday. That's on Monday. Monday. Oh, so yeah, just a natural holiday, so, holiday for us. So what actually happens on Canada Day? Um, we, uh, we we get the, the country moose out and we comb its hair and uh, yeah. we uh, take baths and poutine and yeah. I don't know. Actually, it's funny you say that. Okay, so we have this new um, premier. Remember, this, remember the guy who was our mayor, Mayor Ford, that it was sure. like, you know, yeah. smoking crack and stuff like that. Well, his brother is now the premier of Ontario, and he's canceled Canada Day festivities for the province of Ontario. Canceled them. Wow. After like hundred and some odd years. Why? It's like a cost savings measure? No, because he's a dick. <laughs> So this oh, is the, was, the the Grinch who stole Christmas route. He's the Grinch who stole planning. Canada today. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh. He's a piece of work. There. I shouldn't. I, I know I shouldn't talk about my political opinions on the air, but there you go. Well, un, un, unfortunate as it is, we actually had more of an economic related thing that happened in the Seattle area, where it's like uh, around the time of the uh, mortgage crisis, housing crisis, financial crisis stuff. It's like, oh look, uh, we're not going to be able to afford to do a fireworks display, and so we're just not for Fourth of July. Yeah. Well, you know, sort of locally and. Uh, groups and companies and stuff bandied about money to get it uh, done. And so we've not technically broken the tradition, even though the source of the income changed for a little bit. Right, right. Well, it costs like tens of thousands of dollars to do a good fireworks display, but crazy. Crazy. I'm sure I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if people just went to Queen's Park and just you know, stood there with their own flags and stuff and celebrated. But it's, it's just ridiculous. And people are saying, they're speculating it's because he got booed when he was introduced at the Raptors uh, parade, right? Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So, mm-hmm. so is there a significance to July first? Yeah, July first is Canada Day. Yeah, yeah, but but why was Canada? Why is Canada Day on July first? Like for example, Independence Day in the U.S. is on July fourth because that's the day they signed the Declaration of Independence. I wouldn't so, be surprised if if the they signed the something rather in uh, Charlottetown Accord or whatever I think it's called. In mm-hmm. uh, you make me go to go to the the uh, Wikipedia here, Canada mm-hmm. Day. We had a, we had a signing in in um, Federation signing in uh, Prince Edward Island. Uh, Canada Day. It's it's called Confederation, right? Where we confederated all the 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 provinces together. So, celebrates the anniversary of July 1st, 1987, the effective date of the Constitution Act of 1867, right? 
which was then called the British North America Act. 1867 is when Canada became a country, so that's our our, our anniversary. So when we get around to you know 2067, I won't be here to see it, but that's when our 200th an- 200th birthday will be officially. You might be around uh, to see it. Don't be negative. Well, I think a couple of years ago we had our 150th, I believe, our sesquicentennial. I think that's what uh, Greg was calling it. That's right, sesquicentennial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and we celebrated our 150th episode with our own sesquicentennial, right? If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's why, yeah. It's, it was when the uh, Constitution Act was uh, signed. I don't know what Charlotte Count- Charlottetown Accord is now, now that I say that. Better look that up. Hang on, a little bit of fact-checking, real-time fact-checking. Charlottetown. So it is actually just a coincidence that it falls so closely to our Independence Day. Well, yeah. Yeah, Charlottetown Accord. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. I was wondering about that. I thought it was one of those, like, intentionally move a holiday around to be yeah. close, <laughs> you, you know, conveniently <laughs> close. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or left out, as the Canadians would say. So the Charlottetown Accord was, was a bunch of amendments to the uh Constitution or our Constitution of Canada, which was uh, signed in 1992, which is why it's still fresh in my memory. Hmm. There you go. I don't really follow that stuff. That's there just news. That's like political news. Has it, it's only been in the last, you know, what can I say, four, three or three and a half years that, that politics has gotten really interesting? Unless you include Rob Ford in that, in which case it's been a little bit longer, right? Yeah. Anyway, so our first story up tonight is uh, we talked about this a number of times on the show. This is why this is follow up is that uh, they publish, they, they have longer sessions at WWDC and they break them down into smaller sessions and they're not list, they're not listed in the in the schedule of the WWDC app um, which is why they're sometimes hard to find but a uh, friend of the show I want to say uh, Tom Harrington also known as Atomic Bird on Twitter has put together a GitHub page uh, talking about the sessions and how they're uh, broken up and put put into smaller sessions uh, session videos right so they take the longer ones we, as I said mentioned before and they break them down into 10 little 10 minute videos of different subjects so you might you know you may not be able to find them per se so he's actually put them up here as as a list of shows. Like for instance, when I went to see Combine <laughs> or Combine and Advances in Foundation, they've now split that into introducing Combine and Advances in Foundation as two separate videos, even though they were it was one session at WWDC. So yeah, I noticed that. I, I was live streaming it. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, LLDB Beyond PO. I think I went to that one. Um, I went to the LLD, LLDB session, but uh, we seem to have broken that one out so yeah so if you're interested and you're and you're wondering what 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 all the deal is there's a big long list here just probably like you know 40 or so separate videos here broken up from the main group that uh go into those in detail introducing accelerate accelerate for swift is it accelerate or accelerate i think it's accelerate session seven one eight seven eighteen now before before anyone gets too overwhelmed by the sheer number of sessions here uh if you look closely you'll see well you have to click through to see some of them are only you know five or ten minutes long some of them are yeah, because I mean, they were originally like they might have done three separate, like three separate talks. Like if you were in in the session, you would have seen three different speakers. Mm-hmm. And now they've just broken them out into smaller bits. They did that last year. Like we talked about the designing ones that they they did. They separate them all out into smaller videos. So just to confuse everybody. Yeah. Right. Uh, do we know if the transcripts are out yet? Every year they do. I'm going to click on one of these and see if the transcripts are out yet. Because that'll be a that'll be a follow up uh, segment for us, right? Yeah. Not not sure. I remember they <laughs> would do it with time codes, but it, I'm guessing they don't do them all at once. I think. 
think they just as they're processing them and getting them completed they'll they'll have that up but i haven't actually checked and i would i would guess the keynote and platform state of the union might be some of the best ones to check mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of good uh good stuff to to uh check out here this year i think it's a better than average year right for interesting content especially if you if you look away from the swift ui there's lots of stuff to, as well to dig into right yeah swift ui sort of stole the show as far as things go yeah for sure for sure all righty um and again another story and more follow-up from every year uh hired.com or hired.ca here in canada put together a 2019 or they put an average tech worker salaries i guess obviously to get people to, to go and check out hired and try and you know get themselves a better job as it were um but this year they've they've got the state of salaries different things we can talk about um you know the average pay that somebody making in san francisco would make uh, but the important one and i think we've talked about before is uh if you scroll down is where they compare the uh, amount of money that developers are being paid but also indexed against cost of living in those various cities right so for instance here in san francisco you might be making you know 145k in equivalent dollars that would be around 151k in in toronto right so canadian dollars canadian dollars that's true yeah or 111 yeah so they've got, i just noticed a great type here 111 in canada so, so yeah if, you know two up up in seattle where you are yeah we should all move to seattle yeah, bunk yeah. on jaime's couch looks like well best, looks like the best place to live is is in uh austin yeah yeah when you adjust yeah. for cost of living in san francisco austin comes out like, way ahead of everybody else yeah spelling like a rose for sure yeah no no um no income tax in the state of texas really 8.25 percent um uh, sales tax uh property taxes are generally high that's how they raise money for you know school education that sort of thing what do you mean by no income tax like in no, Calgary, no state, where income tax. state income tax state you still pay federal income tax oh okay okay uh, despite people trying to you know secede from the union and become their own sovereign nation but yeah. do that i'm not a lawyer i'm not, yeah i'm not a, but isn't uh, but uh, so calgary for a while there they had and they may still have it i don't know or alberta i should say as a province so that's where you know our oil sands are because they're you know they're resource rich province they uh they never had sales tax on on goods right um similar idea i guess right uh, but is it because austin or because texas in general has oil money and that kind of stuff do you think or uh, oil money definitely was the, the the old money right that's like yeah. jerry jones dallas cowboys money uh right. ross perot kind of money jr ewing <laughs> yes from dallas and jr ewing kind of money yeah yep. it's funny that so they've got they've got what they, they list as the cost of living factors they got rent real estate utilities groceries local taxes and transportation um but what about health care is that a big issue in the states it well, is it, 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 go ahead Tommy. oh i was gonna say it is but um for this kind of job, you're not going to see a lot of variance in terms of healthcare benefits. So I expect to pay little to, to maybe even nothing at all for me as an individual. Uh, the biggest changes will, in my experience, tend to be in what does it cost to add dependents like spouses and kids in particular. Um, that's so not they, to say it's not deduct insurance payments from your pay? Is that the idea? Or? Yeah, and it really depends on what you end up signing up for. So if you decide right. to not yeah. sign it for one. You say, oh, I'm going to do a, um, uh, what is it? The flexible saving account or health savings account. and Health spending account, maybe? Yeah, I forget what it, what it stands for in the acronym, but you could do those. There's usually a low cost or no cost free uh, healthcare option plan for, for folks. So I think that's probably why it's not top of mind, not because healthcare is not important. It, it certainly is. It's certainly a big issue in the United States, but not for software development. Um, developers are generally very- Anyone privileged. who's making this type of salary, uh, yeah, the healthcare is, is 
although it's it is a very important thing it's probably not you know the limiting factor to, right, to right. where you work and what kind of job you take hmm. there's an interesting metric down here where you can go scroll down to where developers learn to code and 46 percent earned a computer science degree 21 percent self-taught 20 percent had a rele- relevant college degree and some people 13 percent are doing boot camps I, I still hear a lot of uh, positive things about boot camps right it varies and not to get too far off track but there is definitely a a cycle that i've seen where like boot camps got uh, really hot and then there was sort of a backlash and i want to say the backlash was kind of more around uh, the predatory type of boot camps that weren't like really helping their students there were right, certainly yeah. some really good ones and then there's some not so good ones um but now i think the industry sort of coming to grips with the idea of like yeah maybe maybe it's kind of okay to be motivated by a six-figure salary and uh, decent health care for you and your family and maybe it's okay that you're not living and breathing code you know 100 percent of your day Right, right. As I say that on a technical podcast that I've been co-hosting for almost five years now. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, most in-demand software engineering positions by country, number one is a full-stack engineer. Number two is, this is U.S., by the way, is back-end engineer. Three is front-end engineer. And four is mobile engineer. And in the U.K., mobile engineer ends up in fifth place behind data engineer. That's interesting. Like, I think when we started this show, mobile engineer would have been the, would have been the, hot, the hot ticket, right? Yeah, it's definitely seen the cycle happen where it's not quite the hot thing. You definitely have other things that are helping. Um, I understand why Go is really hot as a language. I'm a little little out of the loop on Scala. Um, And in terms of the types of engineers, I think full stack has benefited a lot from one, just a lot of really cool projects that are out there to help people. Like we've talked about React. We may or may not have mentioned Vue. And if you wait two more weeks, there will almost certainly be a hot new framework out there. So there's a lot of attention going on in that space. And for full stack folks, I think from a company standpoint, they end up being pretty um, pretty good return on investment because you'd have somebody hypothetically who, even if they're not necessarily um, like a, a domain specialist in any of them, they're kind of a jack of all trades, master of none sort of thing. Um, depending on what we mean by, by full stack engineer. Right, right. Yeah, and that yeah. gets you a lot of bang for the buck, right? If like, like if you pretend like, oh, I am an iOS engineer and let's pretend I know nothing about backend services and databases and stuff. Okay, great. So now I need to hire two people to do anything useful at all, unless we're using, you know, like a Heroku or, you know, parse, you know, rested soul sort of thing. Um, so I think that's kind of where folks are, are really getting the, um, the full stack engineer, just edging out the top for folks. So do you think a full stack engineer also does mobile? Probably mobile web, um, oh, right. but, but not but not mobile in general. I don't think I've seen people really yeah, really use native. that as part of the definition. Sorry, Mark, what was that? I said probably not native mobile, but web apps potentially. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, possibly so, like a React Native or some other or Flutter or some other technology they can sure. use their mm-hmm. their JavaScript skills for. So mm-hmm. coming back to to the benefits thing, there's a stat here I just found on uh, most compelling company benefits for global tech workers. Number one is better health, dental, and vision care. Number two is unlimited. PTO, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. And number three is paid maternity or paternity leave. Right Here in Canada, we can take maternity and paternity leave. We can share with your spouse uh, the time off. Um, you can you know, do half and half kind of thing. So, But we were, I was watching you tweet to somebody about last week or two weeks ago about unlimited p- p- personal time off or PTO, I may say. Mm-hmm. And I think you asked, what is the minimum amount of unlimited PTO that you have to take? Oh, yeah. I, I, I vaguely remember the conversation, but, but here is the, the sort of crux of it. So a very fashionable thing that you'll find is rather than having a, oh, here's the specific amount of PTO you have, you know, you get uh, the nine to 10 major holidays 
and then maybe you know two up to four weeks of time off PTO, which may or may not be inclusive of sick leave. Um, in, in addition to just oh, I feel like being off today. I'm not coming in. Unlimited PTO has gotten fashionable, particularly in the startup world, where on the face of it, and this is the the criticism I had right? on the face of it, it seems like wow, like you could just you know if you need to take a mental health day, take a mental health day. If you're kind of burnt out, you can just rest and relax. Sure, but the major driving factor is really sort of cynically um, removing a liability from your uh, your assets and liabilities sheet from an economic perspective. Where if you have, let's say, your company says you get two weeks of PTO, and if you leave the company, well, they have to pay you out for the equivalent of what that PTO is. For unlimited PTO, they are not required to do so for that. Like, how, how would you even value that? Right? I, I think is probably the scheme. So my take on it is okay. Rather than having a oh you know we hypothetically have unlimited PTO, but I never really take PTO because I'm feeling really pressured to always be at the office, always checking Slack, always checking email, that sort of thing. Um, my sort of question that I would think I would ask people is, okay, great. You have unlimited PTO. Fine. What is the minimum amount of PTO the company requires you to take? Yeah. Because that my, would tell me, is, is it an economic is it's thing? It's usually zero. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, we're not required. It's like, really? You're not going to keep me from coming in and burning out? It's like, you should. It, it, yeah. There are yeah, some yeah. companies out there who say, we have unlimited PTO. And by the way, um, we require you to take this amount and we will just not let you in the door if you haven't met your need by the right. end of the year. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that's healthier. Yeah. I, I'm with you with the cynicism about this. Uh, I've always actually seen that as a benefit more for the company than for the individual. There are certain enlightened companies, yes, that, that take it seriously and, and you really can take as much PTO as you want. But I think in practice, uh, most of the time people don't end up taking as much PTO uh, and therefore lose that extra uh, benefit that they would have gotten by getting the cash out of the PTO if they if they don't take it at the end. So I, 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 I feel about it myself. I wonder, so I've done pay- payroll before, obviously, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I know that in Canada anyway, we, we were obligated to take 4% of a person's pay and put it aside, theoretically, in a bank account. And that's used to pay for the, you know, the minimum two weeks vacation that they're they're entitled to. Um, and if somebody leaves an organization and hasn't taken their full vacation pay for the year, you have to cut them a check for that amount of money mm-hmm. um, or whatever's left over in the in the, the thing. And and like in our case, we, you know, sometimes some companies, you know, have a, you're required, like you said, to take this much time. And you, do, do they not have something like that in the States where you have to put aside, there's a certain, like a percentage of pay that's put aside for, to cover time off? Well, yes, that's, in the case where you have a certain number of guaranteed PTO days and they accrue, then absolutely. Uh, when As soon as you accrue a PTO hour, it's usually accrued by hourly, right, uh, yeah. then then that money is, as you said, is it's set aside. It's not necessarily, I don't know if the actual money is, is put into yeah, it. Yeah, I'm doing air quotes when I say set aside. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but on the books, that money is yours. And if you were to leave that day, then you get that money paid out. But right. that's, and that's why we're cynical about this unlimited PTO, because when you do that, you never accrue PTO. So that never right. goes on the books. And it's just sort of a handshake agreement between you, usually you and your manager 
uh, about how many days you can actually actually take in reality. And it's right. never so, you, on the so you would never, you would never. Um, what am I thinking here? You would never get. You'd never be entitled to severance, for instance, right? Like if somebody, like if somebody was working for a company for a number of years, there's you know, and for whatever reason they decide to part ways, there's there's sometimes a a, a check that's written to them, right? Well, uh, severance severance is something completely different. Uh, so severance is usually so if if you are let go for whatever reason, uh, uh, then depending on the circumstances and depending on the company and often depending on what you negotiate with the company, you might get a package when you leave, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. which is you know potentially a few weeks or a few months of 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 pay. But that's independent of the back vacation days that that right. you are owed. You get yeah. those no matter what. If you quit, if you quit, you'll never get a severance package. Right. But if you right. quit, you are still legally owed whatever vacation time that you have accrued. Yeah, that's set aside money, right? Yep. Yep. So these are different. These are different things. Cool. All right. But yeah, severance varies very strongly on with the with the company and your relationship with the company. Yeah. So it's interesting this whole this whole talk about this the state of salaries in twenty in two thousand nineteen um, conversation. I wonder how many people actually do consider these kind of factors when they're going from one job to another, right? People really should, and I think that's a big reason why I like talking about this on the show. Yeah. To help, you know, if people aren't going to read this, and I, I really think you should, we'll have it in the show notes for those of you driving along at home, or right. those of you <laughs> those of you driving your kids at home. Um, but if nothing else, at least you've listened to us chat about it for a little bit, and maybe you will take it under consideration when you know when and if you're thinking about making a move. Yeah, I think in in past, depending, I mean, there's been times in my life when I've made a list of pros and cons, you know, when considering uh, one move or another, right? Um, but yeah, but uh, I think I was a lot more cautious when I was younger, though, in terms of going from one place to another, like, yeah. not like, I don't think I've ever worked anywhere for, for less than five or six years, right? So, mm-hmm. I think is, this like, kind of sur- uh, survey helps mostly if you're planning a move to a different city. Right, yeah. It gives you a feel for that. I mean, if you're if you're moving within the same city, you know, you kind of you know where you are currently. Yeah, of course, yeah. Based yeah. On, relative to that. Yeah, that is one of the one of the top factors they talked about in terms of why people would would t- uh, look for a job, and that's basically to try a different city. Mm-hmm. That came out as a large large percentage of the reason why. But uh, mm-hmm. so, how do you guys feel about moving? I mean, obviously, Mark, you grew up in Boston, but you now live in California. Yep. Um, you know, and Jaime, you you are from, you're from um, uh, lost something or other. <laughs> no, no, I'm from El Paso, El Paso right? in, in the great state of Texas. Let's see, this is yeah. why I need to buy the big belt buckle because you're you're not visualizing yeah. the big gigantic belt buckle. Yeah. Yeah, you need you need your forearm with a big tattoo on it, right? Right. Um, so, or your bicep, I should say, but because uh, you need a bigger one. But uh, you have to change. Yeah. Them so, in. so you, you yeah, so you grew up in El Paso and you moved off to <laughs> Seattle, but you you followed your your uh, your your position there, I think, right? Um, would you would you let's say move to Chicago? Either one of you, like specifically would, Chicago, when you're saying this? Yeah, or Paris, or, or London, or L.A. You know, like, like or, or back to Boston, Mark. Uh, it depends. I mean, it depends on a lot of factors. I've I've thought a lot about this. You know, because the the cost of living is so high, so high in California. Yeah. Uh, and you know, especially the cost of housing is so high in California. I could sell my house and buy a you know a much much nicer place somewhere else if I moved to somewhere else. But but uh, but I you know wouldn't necessarily command the salary that I get here. But but uh, but I've when I think about these things, there's there's not too many places I would like to live that doesn't have all almost as bad of a cost of living as here. That's right, that's yeah, kind of the yeah. problem. I mean, there are certainly way cheaper places, but I wouldn't necessarily want to live there. Yeah, California is kind of unique, you know, in a sense, too, because you, you have that, you know, awesome weather. 
most of the time, yep. right? Most of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just for, for drivers. For me, I I can definitely see myself ending up uh, back in Texas, presumably in Austin, possibly mm-hmm. Dallas. Uh, maybe not too distant future, but probably not imminent either. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like if you have connections in Texas, then Austin is a pretty compelling story these days. Yeah, isn't there a fruit company moving down to Austin? Yeah, yeah. The the, the big old fruit company is is investing in the, the city of Austin. Uh, I don't remember what kinds of jobs they were. I'm sure we mentioned it on the show some time ago. Yeah, for sure. But for sure. yeah, just anything that helps build tech in that area that already has kind of old school tech like Texas Instruments in that area and right. Dell is going to be pretty big. Right. Well, speaking of moving out, um, and this is a story that I think we've talked about before, but this is this sort of came out officially about six days ago uh, that Apple is exploring moving some, some production out of China. But I thought we had talked about the fact that with the tariffs and things like that going on, that, that uh, it was only a matter of time before Apple started to move things out. Hadn't seen this particular, what is this, the, the star.com? Is that what it is? It says outline, but it says the star. Yeah, the, it's the outline thing because that's the, the, the get around the paywall thing. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah it's the star. Oh, I see it on the footer now. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, political trade wars being what they are right now, um, I think companies like Apple, uh, also, I think we add to the list, I'm going to say Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo are also trying to figure out how to get around mm-hmm. um, current and or future um, import taxes. Yeah. And uh, a really easy way to do that is to move the final assembly somewhere else, right? So it's technically made elsewhere. Um, right. From a tech standpoint, uh, you know, t- taking the politics side out of it, it seems like it kind of makes sense to do this anyways. Like, does anybody remember when um, oh, there was twice? I can't remember what the other one was, but uh, for sure, RAM got super expensive like 20 years ago. Because yeah, it was all being done in like that, yeah. Vietnam or Thailand, like these like three companies, and then they had this huge flood or earthquake or other natural disaster, and the factories were shut down. Right, like you had yeah. you know economies of scale, but then you kind of also had like you know single point of failure, all your eggs in one basket. And China's obviously much more massive, and it would be kind of hard for any one thing to take out China. You know, mm-hmm. natural resource, uh, sorry, natural disaster wise. But things like changing political boundaries and uh, you know changing administrations and stuff is a risk that is more realistic now than it was 20 years ago. So yeah. it kind of makes sense that you would want other places like um, Taiwan and South Korea and India, you know, rising countries here to have some of that load. Not to mention just economics. I mean, the reason that a lot of manufacturing went into China was because China was cheap to do the manufacturing. Right. Yeah. Really cheap. Uh, and it's China is gentrifying and it's getting more expensive to do these kind of things. And I think we'll only continue to do so and as time goes on it'll get more and more expensive relatively to to do the manufacturing there uh so from a purely business point of view and i don't want to get into whether it's a you know humanitarian uh from a humanitarian point of view if it's the right thing to do but from from a purely cost business point of view it will make sense to move some of the manufacturing to somewhere that's even cheaper than china true yeah i mean that, and that's essentially what happened i mean initially if you look at the auto market they moved down to mexico for manufacturing and some up into Canada because it was less expensive than the big places like Detroit and places like that where cars are manufactured, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they eventually went overseas as well, right? Yep. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's 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 interesting thing. I saw a, a special show on I think Nova or something like that about Foxconn. I don't know if you've ever seen how long that plant is mm-hmm. or the plants that Foxconn occupies are like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. many many city blocks long. 
think you've talked about this, Mark, right? like how long these, these particular plants are. So it's really difficult to move out. Sure. Obviously, it take, takes many, many years. Takes a but, long By the way, yeah. there's, a, there's a breaking story today. Uh, it's broken already, but uh, you guys may not have heard about it. But uh, China is banning Canadian pork products hmm. as of today. And it's not a, it's not a trade war thing. It's not, it might be related to the YY story, highway story, highway story. But it's because somebody forged veterinary certificates. Mm. Oh, no. they sent over yeah. some products. <laughs> and, uh, and so not, like, now, now our you know, Royal Canadian Mounted Police or our CMP are now investigating how, how did this happen, right? So, so yeah, it's like, like Canada as a country is taking it on the nose because of a couple of you know, idiots that decided to forge a, a, a vet certificate, right? Yeah. So. But presumably this is just a transient thing and they'll, they'll fix the problem. They'll, they'll you know, do some mea culpas and, and, yeah, yeah. and then eventually it'll get lifted. It's not a permanent thing. Yeah, but it's just, it's an interesting story. It was like the top story yesterday or the day before. Yeah, yeah interesting stuff. Hmm. All right, let's talk about some self-driving cars. Yeah, this is one of those stories that just sort of popped up out of nowhere. And that's Apple apparently has acquired a self-driving startup called Drive.ai. And as this article here says, um, literally just a handful of days, I think it's what, like the 90-day war notice? Yes, 90-day war notice that's required by the state of California um, from shuttering its doors. Drive.ai is Apple is totally fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, a lot of analysis I've seen around this is that it probably is not for tech reasons. It's probably more of an aqua hire as Apple really tries to acquire uh, machine learning and presumably um, self-driving vehicle software. So probably those folks will be working at an Apple Park pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So do you think we'll see a buddy build driven AI car soon? <laughs> buddy drive? Yeah. Buddy drive? <laughs> you know, I, I really wish, really wish I had spies inside of Apple who could just just tell me because I, I don't know what their play is going to be. Like we've, we've joked in this show that, you know, oh, I, I think the 16 gigabyte, you know, White. Apple car will be 49999 We We even went as far as saying like, how much do you think it will cost? But that's assuming it is a car and, and not a, um, you a know, a, a yeah. kit that they can, yeah, technology that they can license out to the Fords and Toyotas of the world or an aftermarket thing like, hey, take your normal car, turn it into an Apple car with this, you know, aftermarket kit and go to car pros the better way to go right and i don't know like I, it's exciting I, that apple doubt it would no, be yeah. like that because of the liability issue if you but isn't apple mapping places right now with their self-driving cars because there was a, there was one here in, in in toronto like three four weeks ago just driving around right and i think that's probably a, a way for them to double dip on things they need right that's to make improvements to apple maps and then also hey look we're dog fooding the self-driving vehicles and seeing how they work right yeah 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 because we had because we talked about this i think earlier in the show too when when the google car came along right we all thought the google car was going to be uh um something to do with with you know self-driving cars but it ended up being that they were using it for mapping right for creating their own maps it's interesting stuff yeah i i've long believed that individual you know sedan style or even um van style vehicles are not really the way to go in terms of automated vehicles my personal take and granted i'll, I'll give a counter argument that i thought was pretty convincing that somebody brought up to me as i was mentioning this you know over libations in some sort of meetup 
Um, I've long felt like, okay, what would be an easier thing to program, you know, from a getting this thing right and also be kind of more, uh, not cost effective per se, but more, um, you'll get more passengers per mile of this vehicle moving around. And my take is if you had self-driving buses that could then run 24 seven, it's kind of like having a train system, except way better because trains can get delayed because the track is damaged in some way and automated Mm -hmm. buses can route themselves around. Oh, look, you know, uh, there's a protest happening. Uh, there's an oil spill that happened. And the nice side benefit is buses generally don't move very fast, right? They kind of take a little time to get going and then they slow down kind of, uh, in a slow, nice deceleration and things tend to avoid them. Uh, yes, you can find news articles about like, you know, um, bicyclists ran into a bus or bus ran into a bicyclist type of stories, but they're far few between compared to, you know, car ran into a pedestrian car ran into bicycle right? Like they're just big and lumbering and things try to avoid them. And from a, how many people can you have sitting in the same spot, especially for like, you know, like a UK style double-decker bus? It's like, wow, that sounds great. The counter argument that I think was really actually pretty compelling that I hadn't thought of before was somebody said, well, it's kind of a liability thing. And I said, why? Because with a bus, if something's wrong, like you just killed like 50 to hundred people. With the car, a sedan, you killed like two, maybe eight people at most. Right. Although that was kind of a weird cynical way of looking at it. It was like, oh yeah, from a liability standpoint, like that's that's a huge difference. Hmm. Now, how much would you pay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 passive enough to 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 buy into self driving cars or self driving transport, you know, transit systems. But uh, I mean, I was in Vancouver and they, they was riding their their uh, light rail system there, um, and uh, they they don't have drivers on, the, and they haven't had them since '86, I think, when they had the Olympics or Expo. Um, yeah, they, they've been. It's kind of funny though. You kind of have to. You, the door doesn't wait for you to get in it kind of just goes beep 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 the door is closing and the door closes you know so it's easy to get pinched in there but uh yeah yeah there are definitely things we can we can learn about that um japan solves this or tokyo solves this by having music play and you know that when the music stops then the doors are going to start closing right okay right so there is a little bit of a you know how far away is it and presumably if you're running and you know the tune that the station has you'd be like no they're on the drum solo i can't get there now okay yeah but people are people are dumb <laughs> people people will trying. find a way. Yes, that's true. People are dumb. All right. Oh, yeah. What's the next story from Apple here, honey? Yeah, now we're talking about, you know, arms getting caught somewhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was so dark. Caught on the door. <laughs> Gotta carefully look um, at your arm caught in the door of the closing subway train. How about that? Yeah, it's like a speed of arm. Um, Apple has apparently hired one of ARM's top chip designers. That would be the ARM lead CPU architect, Mike Filippo, or Filippo? I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Yeah, Filippo, yeah. Chief chip architect. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty interesting. Um, it says here in this article they're trying to make up for the loss of some talent that uh, was poached by Google. Um, mm. But still definitely shows Apple really investing in this sort of stuff and trying to trying to acquire all the top talent that they can for making sure that their, their chips work exactly the way they want and they're going to build them at scale and um you know they're going to have that as a not only a safety net to make sure they're not sort of caught at a loss like they had with intel on the desktop right, cpu right. but also to make sure they have like a competitive advantage they're definitely trying to do more things like look this cool new i even forget what chip we're on it's the, the a13 bionic superman <laughs> chip like yeah. it does machine learning and can do your taxes all at the same time while reading a storybook to your kids sure yeah so maybe we don't have this show doesn't have a chief chip architect if only we knew somebody somebody out there <laughs> hit us up and hashtag SMTJC if you might have 
advanced I was, degrees I was in alluding to our, our actually you know, resident chip technologist who's being really quiet right now. I don't have Is anything it? to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I haven't stored my left my left thumb on my iPad yet. What do you know? All right. Uh, where are we? What are we on this show? What what, what bad say we can we do now? Oh, it's amazing how I'm dependent on opening my iPad with my thumb. I may. I missed the segue. Dependency. <laughs> oh no! Is that what's next? I thought it was the. Oh yeah, uh, the, chip to dependency. Oh, I I have these open in, in the wrong order. Yes. Oh okay. The magic of editing will make this a smooth transition. You, you hope. <laughs> <laughs> the only way I can guarantee it gets in the show is to say, Tim, don't put this in the show. <laughs> yeah. I take Apple Pay Apple Pay money as well, or iTunes money. Off you so, go. Yeah, we've got an article here by um, Mr. Paul Hudson at Two Straws on Twitter on his Hacking with Swift Hacking with Swift blog about how to use dependency injection with storyboards, that being new mm-hmm. for iOS 13. So he sort of starts out with some of the problems you'd end up with. Of like, yeah, you know, storyboards are great for a lot of stuff. The one weakness that they do have that folks will definitely complain a lot about if they're not you know fully engaged with the benefits you get out of it is yeah but how do i inject my dependencies how do i mm-hmm. do these other things and it looks like that's been resolved here um in ios 13 with the new um the new initializer stuff that lets you actually do that and you're getting the the coder uh, ns coder side of things and you can say yeah I, actually this um this initializer is the one that i expect people to use so you can do things like oh i, I want to show this new view controller great i'm going to ask the storyboard to instantiate it i'm going to make sure that it does in fact return me the thing I want configured with the right dependency that I want and then move on with my merry storyboard driven live. So does this change uh, things like Swinject, which we were trying to use a while back? Maybe. I'm not super familiar. The The name sounds familiar, but I've not used Swinject Yeah, Swift myself. Injection. Yeah. There's a framework for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. I think on this show, Mark is the, the storyboard master. So I'm kind of curious on his take on this because this is yeah. a little bit outside my realm. Yeah. So this is a really nice step forward. Uh, it definitely resolves one of the the big issues being that in any kind of instantiated storyboard, in order to do this dependency injection, you have to you have to have the thing you want to inject be declared as an optional property because uh, because you don't have access to the storyboard. Uh, sorry, to the to the to the instantiated view controller until after the init with coder has been called, and in which mm-hmm. and since you haven't since you haven't defined all of the properties uh, inside the init uh, because you haven't injected it yet, then you have to make that property optional. That makes sense what i just said Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is a big step forward it it gets rid of a lot of places where that property that injected property has to be an optional which is really really nice gets rid of a lot of boilerplate in your injected in your uh, instantiated view controller Uh, but i would argue that apple has only solved half the problem here although it is a great step forward because they're missing one fundamental piece there is no concept of of perform segue with creator so in other words if you're using a segue to uh to instantiate your view controllers rather than instantiating them in code, which is what this article is talking about, mm-hmm. then you still have to, as far as I can tell, you still have to use the uh, prepare for segue method, uh, which is called after the view controller has been instantiated. So you don't necessarily have access to this uh, this nice way of calling the init, calling a custom init method on the view controller when you're using a segue. 
which is unfortunate. If well, I thought the, I thought the, I thought that prepare for segue was going was going away or had been changed somehow in, in the new stuff. I remember seeing that in a session. Oh, then I just may not be aware of that. If that's true, then that's good news. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember making a note of that or something. And, and you're not talking about in Swift UI, right? Well, in Swift UI, there, there, there's no prepare for segue. Right. For sure, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're counting on you, Tim, since you were the only one who was actually at the, the show to, <laughs> to tell us those things. <laughs> yeah. No. I've, I've, it was either in the platform state of the union or what's new in in, uh, in the, you know the what's new sort of survey talks that they do at the beginning of the week. But I do I do remember making a mental note of the fact that that uh, it was a, he said something about you know prepare for segue was going away and there was like a big cheer from the crowd right huh. so yeah I'm gonna have to look that up yeah don't I mean you know I may I may be wrong but. It wouldn't be the first time, but the problem is I wrote all my notes in cursive, so now it's really hard to go and search for things. That's <laughs> uh, sad. But yeah, but it maybe it maybe I maybe just talk, thinking of Swift UI in general, right? Yeah, I'm not seeing anything specifically about that here. Yeah. So well, that's we we have to wait for the transcripts to come out so we can start searching the right, right, the talks, right? Well, now you've got me interested. Exactly. Well, we can ask people to sort of throw a note at us and ask MTJC, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do have to confess I haven't dug nearly enough into the iOS 13 docs to, to really know for sure about any of this stuff. Yeah, I feel like this is a little bit of a little bit of a breather week for me on that because it was definitely like top of mind for a lot of these things and it's just so much going on this year that it's, it, it was almost a little overwhelming. So I think just taking a little little break from it, let things sink in and then start learning stuff. I mean, it's, you know, of, of course it's great to get in really early on some of these things, but there's still plenty of time, um, you know, unless you're really dedicated towards like, by golly, I need to have a Swift UI app, like on day one in the app store uh, come September. I mean, sure, time's running away, but um, I think there, you know, it's not like, oh no, I haven't been doing Swift UI for the past three weeks and now I won't be able to get a job. You, you got time. You don't, you don't want to yeah. wait forever because you'll you'll definitely start needing to know this stuff for sure next year, but um, good to take a little breather. And, yeah, it's, and it's quite some possible that Swift UI will follow the same kind of path that Swift itself did when it first came out. So Swift came out in 2014 and, you know, some people adopted it right away and, mm-hmm. and did some projects in it. And and I think in hindsight, many of them probably wish they had waited a little bit because things were changing so much. And, and it wasn't until a couple of years later, maybe even until Swift 3 came out, that it was really ready for prime time. So well, even I, between two and three, there was big what they called breaking changes. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I sort of suspect that Swift UI will sort of do the same thing. Uh, you'll be able to use it if you really want to when it comes out in the fall, but it may not be quite ready for real projects for uh, another year or, or so. But we'll see. So I'm looking at the iOS 13 docs right now. I don't see prepare for for segue uh, being complicated. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. Don't see any new methods that might be replacing it. So, yeah, if anyone out there knows any, any more about this, please let us know. I'm definitely interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need I need handwriting recognition for my notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I posted this next story in here because we were just talking about previously about uh, Seattle and uh, and I thought Jaime, you had posted something in our Slack about uh, Seattle, uh, you know, turning the soil on a new uh, new uh, hub for Apple in Seattle. Yeah, that's right. Um, as this article here says, and it's describing what GeekWire was reporting that Apple was planning to hire its first uh, 200 new employees, so beyond existing employees in Seattle by the end of this year, and ultimately plans to hit 2,000 employees over the next five years. And there was a big um, sort of groundbreaking sort of ceremony, I guess, 
this or that uh, with um, the mayor of Seattle. And that is, as noted here, at 333 Dexter Avenue North. Why do I care enough about that to state that? It's like, well, I knew that that, you know, map-wise was was pretty close to a lot of tech stuff that's going on in Seattle. That's a very quick 10-minute walk, you know, away from Facebook's offices on Dexter. It is about 10 minutes away from Google's new uh, Google Cloud office that's going up uh, in the same sort of area and is right there on the edge of South Lake Union, you know, sometimes known as Amazon Town. So definitely a lot of lot of tech there. Pretty exciting to see, you know, these buildings go up. And I personally just randomly happened to be at the corner where that building was going on. Like I wouldn't even have thought. He's like, we have new buildings going up all the time in Seattle. And I literally would not have noticed or cared about these buildings until I said, wait, that building was kind of familiar. Why do I know that design? And I looked, I was like, oh, it was in that Geekwater article. That's the new Apple one. Like I'm standing here kitty corner from it. I took a little picture and, and threw that in our in our Slack. Maybe we can get that up uh, on the website. Yes, I remember that picture for sure. Cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty interesting to see the, the, the growth here. Um, this article does not talk about it, but my suspicion, and I don't really have any inside information. Again, Apple spies, reach out to me. Right. <laughs> my DMs. My DMs are wide open for you to slide into. Um, from information that I've, I've known prior, I highly suspect that this is not like iOS engineers that they're hiring here, but probably more uh, machine learning based folks for things like Coromel, uh, the Turi hire was uh, acquisition, I should say, came out of Seattle. And a lot of Siri stuff is being done up here in Seattle. I know I know that for a fact. So would mm-hmm. not be surprised to see these employees working on machine learning and Siri-based products. All right, I guess we're at the picks section of our show here. So, uh, Hami, why don't you dive in with some picks? Oh, yeah, how did, we, how did we decide it's the fracking Swift UI? We're just we gonna call, yeah, free show. yeah, or gosh darn Swift UI. Yeah, the, the happier one is gosh darn Swift UI. And if you are familiar with the uh, Objective-C block syntax or the mm-hmm. Swift closure syntax sites, you can visualize in your head what the proper URL will be. But for sure, you will get there from gosh darn Swift UI. Be aware that the website itself has some profanity listed on there. It's sort of a, a nice little tip of the hat to the gosh darn block syntax website that people you learn and love. And what it's all about is sort of helping you understand what in the world is even, how do I even, what's going on in Swift UI. That's sort so, of a cheat sheet, right? Yeah. So it's got a little FAQ section of like, should I learn this? Should I learn it now? Will it replace these things? You know, that's good and all requirements. The bigger thing for me is just seeing everything laid out nicely in a tabular format of what is your UI kit equivalent and what would that be in Swift UI? So it is your your uh, Rosetta Stone. It is your cheat sheet for how do those map? And then some examples of how would you deal with text? What about images? Or how do you deal with navigation and pickers and sliders and other things? So definitely you can uh, use other resources like the official Apple Docs and tutorials and Ray Renderlich's team has books coming out. Um, code plus design or design plus code from Meng is coming out with a, a course. And uh, Paul Hudson, the, uh, the caffeine-filled vampire, as we mentioned last week, yeah. <laughs> also yeah. already sure has like, books. I'm sure he's published the time you know, we're like, listening to the show, yeah. Yeah, like, there's just so much content out there that sometimes just having a nice little cheat sheet that you could you could probably print out and have on your desk or at least have here so you can do a little uh, control F searching for like, oh, come on, man. Like, I need to know uh, how, how does a tab view work? What's a tab thing? Oh, it's a tab view. Okay. And then you can do this, 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 that. Okay, cool. Nice little examples. Right. Cool. Yeah. No, it's definitely, definitely. I mean, and it's one of these picks where we kind of race to the to the Google Notes, uh, Google Doc at the same time because I found it and headed over to paste it into the uh, show notes a couple of days ago. And of course, you know, that, that darn, I mean, Lopez beat me there again. Yes. I've, I've noticed there's a pattern 
to these. So you are at a distinct advantage when news comes out early in the morning because mm-hmm. you live in the three-hour future, right? right. You, you get to warn us when things are about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, however, being three hours past of where you are, I'm at a very large advantage when things come out later at night, particularly right. because I'm you know kind of a severe night owl. So mm-hmm. while you are dreaming happy thoughts about Swift UI and iPhones and other things, um, I'm diligently stealing all the best picks that come out late at night. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. There you go. All right. So I have two picks, unless Mark has a pick, stealth pick. Don't have a pick, although I'm so, hunting for information about this, these uh, segues here. Oh, now, now you're curious. Oh, okay. Well, now, I now found I'm a trouble. reference in, I found an article uh, by Patrick Balestra called uh, WWDC 2019, The Things You May Have Missed. That it should, mm-hmm. And it's just a whole bunch, whole list of things about that, that we might have missed. And one of them is very intriguing. It says, uh, it, it mentions the, the the thing that Paul Husband was just talking about, but then the next line it says similar improvements have been made to UI storyboard segue with the new at IB segue action modifier. You can pass additional context and parameters directly to the next segue view controller that should be initialized. So that sounds exactly like what I'm looking for, although I haven't been able to right. find any docs on this explicitly. I'm still looking for that. So that's my pick. All right. Maybe I'll have more to say on that in a minute. All right. Okay, cool. So my, my picks are kind of they're non non Swifty, non Swifty UI, non WWDC kind of things, but um, just one thing that uh, this morning they they listed off the people who are going to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and since we have sort of a hockey theme on this show, obviously being because we're Canadian and stuff like that, uh, Haley Wickenheiser has been uh, nominated. She's the seventh woman to be nominated to the Hockey Hall of Fame. She is far and away the best female hockey player in the world. Um, she has won seven world titles. She has won four gold medals, three of them as captain of the Canadian Canadian uh, women's hockey team. Um, she even played a couple, a season or two, I think a season in Europe on a men's team. Um, she's been a great ambassador for hockey in general and also hockey women in hockey. She sponsors a, I think they call it Wickfest or something like that, which is like a big tournament that happens uh, in her, I believe in her home uh, province of Saskatchewan, which is where she's from. Yeah, she's, she's an awesome hockey player and I've, I've been following her for many, many years. And uh, yeah, congratulations to Haley Wickenheiser getting nominated into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was, so we talked last week about this this classic uh, environment I have running on my iPad, my iPad Pro right here, right? And um, just this week, uh, I, as I did manage to get Photoshop 1.0 running on it, which is kind of cool. And, and it's funny, cause I, I took a picture with the pencil, and it's, it didn't even dawn on me that, well, the pencil substitutes for the mouse. So I can actually use the Apple Pencil on Photoshop 1.0 on my iPad Pro. So that's kind of cool. So I was doing some selection with that. But what I think is even cooler than that is I finally managed to resurrect the talking moose, and I have the talking moose running on my iPad. Give me one sec while I boot up. And why is there no sound? Let me see if I get sound going here. So I'll fire up my hard drive. Oh, try it again. Of course, now it's not going to run, right? Oh, there we go. Welcome to back. It seems like I just closed my eyes. So that's the talking moose. And every time you, you do something, uh, like if I choose a, a, a menu item, let's see if I can... I learned to copy and grade one. <laughs> so this is the talking moose and the kind of things that he'll do when you... Uh, Info. Yeah. Any, anytime you have open an alert alert dialog box, he would he would call up the alert, alert for you. Control panel. Right. And you can see the odds sort of uh, voice that he has, but there's a tool here called Moose Proof. Moose Proof. So, Welcome. So I can have him say anything I want. And so I made a movie. Let me play it on my... Oh, is it on my Mac? Yeah, it's on my Mac. I don't know if I can play it for you guys so you can hear it. How are we going to do this? There we go. See if this works now. 
turn my microphone around. Hang on. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is friend of the show, the original Talking Moose. If you want to find out more about the show, visit the More Than Just Code website, mtjc.fm. If you like the show, please leave a comment, and if you can, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and now stay tuned for the after show. But of course, when you when you tap on this little moose icon, he randomly says things. Oh, wait, I'm the wrong wrong app. When the going gets tough, I go fishing. So, I'll post this Mary up on had a lamb, its fleece was white as snow, everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to say it will was ox on the floor. Better dead than mellow. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. I think your battery is running down. You are imagining all this. That guy looks familiar. Yeah, okay, I gotta stop the, stop the video there. So that's the talking moose. Are you impressed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is from an era where, like, sound cards were not ordinarily included as part of your desktop PC purchase. Yeah, they actually were, they were, I mean, that's the thing, that was one of the advantages that Apple had over, or the Mac had over uh, stuff, IBM right? PCs and yeah. Windows stuff, yeah. Yeah, so here, let's do this. Max rule and PCs drool. I spell drool. I can't spell. Yeah, let's try this. PCS drool. <laughs> PCS drool. So, and actually, there's, it's, it's interesting because there's a phoneme language you can write, and you can you can type out the words in such a way that he'll actually pronounce them better than than just typing out the English language. So, and it's a, of course, there's an animated moose up in the corner. Um, I'll have to get this video up onto uh, up onto the YouTube for people to look at. That's my pick, the talking moose. He lives. Of course, he's not actually uh, Canadian, by the way. He was made by Steve Halls. Um, this is version three. I'm running and. Oh, iPad. Open it up again. One sec. Yeah, so he was from... Yeah, so he was from uh, Luther Place. Oh, he is from Saskatchewan, Canada. Wow, I take that back. He is Canadian. There you go. Then corrected. And now I'm going to make a no true Canadian joke here that apparently is falling <laughs> flat. So <laughs> glad yeah, that we so. could do the, the real-time follow-up and, and fact check right there. Real-time. Yeah, yeah. I was, hoping, I was hoping to cut, crop this this video because it's... Uh, I probably should have done it on a, on a smaller... What was it 240 by 320 screen that they originally came? on the max you know yeah but that's my uh my pick talking moose so i did find in the xcode 11 beta 2 release notes some mm-hmm. information about this at ib segue action attributes and it looks like it does do exactly what i'm what i've been requesting mm-hmm. so let me just read what it says a little blurb about what it says a view controller method annotated with the new at ib segue action attribute can be used to create a segways destination view controller in code using a custom initializer with any required values this makes it possible to use view controllers with non-optional initialization requirements and storyboards Yay. Create a connection from a segue to an at IB segue action method on its source view controller on new versions, uh, new OS versions that support segue actions. That method will be called and the return value it returns will be the destination view controller of the segue object passed to prepare for sender. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. That's cool. Yep. So that's my pick. All right. All right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, hi, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at devwiththehair. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And that's two Ps in Smapsoft. Two Ps. That's right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. 
If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Camera for the watch. Are they patented it? Did it? So right. the uh, perky, perky wristband for the watch mm. was the the way that I saw the drawing in the in the patent for the Apple Watch. So is the lens actually band. on the end of the end of the strap? Is that the idea? I think so, and I think it's uh. to have something that's a little bit more ergonomic, so you're not sort of twisting your wrist at a very wrist, weird yeah. angle, trying to yeah. you know see on the screen and also aim the camera at something. Mm-hmm. Not that bad mm-hmm. of an idea, but it it looks a little weird like a little antenna so two things i went to see uh, the royal affair the other day how was it it was okay yeah you know it wasn't wasn't super duper i mean it's some some interesting points i mean I, it's funny i've always wanted to see carl palmer play live yeah and of course i missed the whole emerson lincoln palmer phase of his life right yeah. but so it was, it was interesting to see him play he's, he's a very uh dynamic drummer and he's in like, he's got to be in his 70s right oh so, yeah for sure yeah and he was he was uh, very good and the guy who played the, all the em- keith emerson keyboards did mm-hmm. it on a guitar really yeah yeah so yeah he was he was really good well i mean if you think about it uh, the kind of stuff that emerson would have been playing would have been monophonic because most of the, the synthesizers back then were monophonic right mm-hmm. so he would have been playing one note at a time as opposed to like you know chords and stuff right hmm. yeah and uh yeah. but, uh, but and i heard they did play lucky man in the asia set with real keyboards. yes they played yeah they played lucky man okay. in the asia set yep. um yeah because because you know, of course in asia uh jeff downs uh, sorry jeff downs is playing keyboards yeah and yeah. and um uh carl palmer is in in asia as right, well right right so, right which I'd forgotten completely. Oh, you know, yeah. the Asia set, the Asia set was a bit painful. I, I have to really? say, because yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah, too surprised. Yeah, they were. They were. I, I was surprised at how many albums they actually put out. Right. Mm. The funny thing is, I don't know the. I don't know the name of the, the singer guitarist guy that was. He's the new lead singer for Asia. Right. Um, but his. Uh, if you look at his his um, his record, he's he played it with Guns and Guns and Roses at one point, which mm. doesn't sort of fit the same kind of. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really bode well for a prog rock band. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. and yeah. Yes was okay. It's like I think I, I think I joked about the fact the last time I saw this version of Yes, I saw this version of Yes with Chris Squire though back in 2013, right? With uh, oh, what's his name? The new, the new singer. Um, but uh, um, John, what's his name? John, not John Anderson. John something. John Davidson. John Davidson. Yeah. yeah. And it was okay. I mean, he's he sings much better now. Like he's mm-hmm. I think he's now that he's been at it for eight years or so. He was saying it was good. But you know, you really do notice a difference when you don't have Rick Wakeman and uh, Chris Squire. Yeah. There's yeah. just something about 
felt they had a bit more gravitas in their performance, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. it was a good show. I think it's probably the last time I'll go see Yes, and I've seen them, like, you know, this will be, like, my seventh time seeing them, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing them in about a month, and it really is true that, you know, as much as I'm looking forward to seeing all these different bands, all these different people, uh, yeah. each each of the bands is really just a, a shell of what it used to be. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yes. the one thing I got to say, the one thing I have to say, though, and, and this happens every time I see Yes play, or mm-hmm. least recently, is there's a point in the show where everybody leaves the stage and they hand Steve Howe an acoustic guitar right. and he blows the doors off the place. Right, yep. I mean, that is worth more than the price of admission. Yep, yep. Yeah, so he only played a couple of songs this time, but they, but both of them were just amazing, stellar, you know. Yeah, yeah. So in, in Yes these days, I mean, there are no original members left, but... Yeah, none, the, not one, not even one, yeah. yeah. Of the sort of traditionally, you know, core, or, you know, the, the, the main core Yes albums, you know, which was, you know, Steve Howe, John Anderson, Chris Squire, um, uh, Bill Bruford, and, and Rick Wakeman. The only mm-hmm. one left is Steve Howe. There's no... But he wasn't an original member either. No, though, no, right? I wasn't. He, he wasn't original, but he was around for the sort of... What I think of, at least, and this is my own personal opinion, yeah. but I think of as the core Yes albums were like from the Yes album through right. Tales of Topographic Oceans, really, and maybe yeah. not even that one. No, I, I liked it. I liked that album. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but Relay yes was Close a Close to painful. the Edge, Fragile, those are kind of yeah. the key ones. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And Asia, you know, Asia, I mean, they were they were always more of a pop band than a prog band to begin with. Yeah. But without John Wetton, they yeah. definitely are diminished, for, yeah, sure. for sure. For sure, And And Emerson, Lake, and Palmer without Emerson and Lake, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the it's Moody Blues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Moody Blues is just, it's just John Lodge in this in this incarnation yeah. of it. So, yeah. yeah. You know, what's funny is I, I did see ELP once, yeah. but not with Carl Palmer. I saw the sh- very short lived Emerson Lake and Powell version. Oh, really? Yeah. They only did one album and one tour, I think, because uh, huh. Carl Palmer was off with, with Asia. This was probably late 80s somewhere. Right, uh, right. So they had Cozy Powell of, you know, various, various groups, Jeff Beck Group and various other places mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. he was sort of a, you know, jack of all trades drummer, standing drummer or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I did see them on that tour, but that was the only time I saw ELP. Yeah. Well, they had Alan White for, on drums for, I think he played three songs because he's, he's looking pretty old too. Um, so they had this, I, I want to say studio drummer play with Yes, right? And he, he was just a little, a little too polished or a little too, you know, mm. yeah, it was, it was a bit odd. So, so actually Alan White was probably on Tales from Trop- Topograph Oceans, right? Bruford yeah. I think, well, he, he came in after Bruford, right? Bruford yeah. After, uh, after Close to the Edge or after Fragile, maybe? Uh, no, he left after, I think he was on Close to the Edge, but, but, um, yeah, it's funny because he played with Genesis too, Bruford, right? Which is, briefly, which is very briefly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but Alan White was on, Alan White was on, uh, the Yes, Yes song, Yes songs album, you know, the, the triple, triple sided, uh, three disc, uh, live album they put out. Yeah. Alan White was on, was a drummer on that, I'm pretty sure. Mm, yeah. But he was also John Lennon's drummer too, which they, so they, they played a, a John Lennon song. Right, right. I'm going to wreck it for you. <laughs> I know, it's Imagine. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I figured you'd imagine what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So on Saturday, I'm going to see the Rolling Stones for the first time ever. Nice. Yeah. So a big, big uh, festival park up north of uh, Toronto. 
long. Yeah. Yeah, taking a tour bus up and a tour bus home. So get to be the whole the whole uh, middle aged to older gray haired guy going to see the, you know the dinosaur rock concert, right? So. <laughs> but I'll get used to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny because because uh, I also want to see the beaches. I saw the beaches open for um, the Foo Fighters last year, but I missed most of their set. And I'd I'd, I'd, I'd heard of them. I heard about them. They're they're a bunch of girls from around here. It's a female band. Um, they're just they're from the beaches of of which is just south of me, right? Um, and uh, geographically, that is. And uh, yeah, they they were rocking at the Rogers Center opening for the Foo Fighters. They were they were really good. Hmm. And, and I'm, I kind of regret that I didn't go to the show earlier, right? Yeah, um, no, they're from they're from the the mm-hmm. Queen Street beaches. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. And then Sloan is playing. That's another great Canadian. So there's there's like four or five great Canadian bands sort of opening up for the Stones. And then of course they'll roll the Stones out and mm-hmm. they'll play. They'll and then, them out. You know, yeah, <laughs> roll them out. Yeah, roll yeah. the stones out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm, I, I was like Ron Wood as a guitarist, and of course Keith Keith Richards. So mm-hmm. who's the who's the bass player for the Stones these days? Uh, I don't know. It's not Bill Wyman anymore. No, he retired. I think so. It's probably just some stand-in. Well, he retired from the Stones. He's still producing music somewhere, right? Is he? I don't know. Yeah, it's, he's got a few albums out. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to see uh, uh, Funkadelic, Parliament Funkadelic, Funkadelic. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Should be interesting. Just... I've never seen them before live. Right, right. Well, that's an event, right? Like, aren't they like a band that sort of always has crazy costumes and stuff? Yeah, they have crazy costumes and, and lots of people on stage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that should be fun. Is that George Clinton? George, George Clinton? Clinton. It's his retirement tour. Oh, yeah? He's getting up there, too. Huh, all right. I mean, he never goes to concerts. <laughs> no, I, I don't. You know, um, it was never really my bag. I, I have gone to concerts, but mm-hmm. I just never got into it. I, I can understand the appeal, especially as a sports fan where, of course, I can watch and get beautiful angles from the comfort of my own home. But there's definitely something about being there. And that's why I actually go out to games, even though I, you know, objectively have a worse angle at most of the time compared to what you would get on TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's being there and feeling the, the energy in the crowd. Like, I get that. And I've definitely yeah. appreciated that at concerts, but it, it just never clicked with me enough for me to go on a regular basis. Right, right. In fact, it's been quite a long time since I've been, I think, struggling to think of what it was. It's probably a Green Day concert. And before that, it probably <laughs> it probably was uh, Gwen Stefani's Lamb uh, series. So yeah. that's been mm. more than a decade, if it's that one. I'll tell you, Tim, well. the kids today, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Back in my day, if you wanted to listen to music, you had to go pay for the concert or hope that the DJ shut up when he was on the radio, you know. Now I can just stream beautiful music out of my, you know, my HomePod. And if I bought another one, it'd be even better music. It's But it's the same every time. That's, that's what's nice about live music is it's different every time it's mm. subtly different every time mm. that's true depends that's true depends yeah but they play with it that's the thing right they kind of play they they play with it they know they're playing with it and the audience reacts to that yeah. it's that whole tribal experience that i keep talking about going to see movies with other people and same as sport i mean like i i went to one playoff game with the leafs years ago years and years ago and it's that's unlike any other hockey because every single move they make is like you know gets a gets a cheer or a groan or an oh from the band from the audience right so, which you don't get at regular games, right? Regular season games. So it's an event. 
indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, staying on the top of music, so there is a mini trend, a very mini trend. So you have um, Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Yeah, yeah. About, you know, Queen, they have like the, the biopic. You've got Rocket Man, which I'm very, very interested in seeing. I've not seen it yet, but because of how good the um, music production was for Queen and, you know, the story was really cool too. Definitely want to see Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. What do you think will be the next biopic story? And who 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 will it be about? And who plays the main character? The next characters, biopic. I guess. I, I did see uh, Rocket Man just before I went to WWDC because I didn't want to spend my time at WWDC thinking about watching the movie, right? But uh, so I got it out of the way before I went down. But who would be the next person? Wow. Huh. Well, who's as big as uh, Elton John and um, Stevie Wonder, maybe? Uh, but who's There's tons. Big? I mean... Oh, Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen. You do yeah. uh, Michael Jackson. You could do Jackson, Prince. yeah. You could do Jackson, yeah. yeah. Jackson's out of favor, though, right, these days. Could be pretty yeah, yeah, it's the where, how do you go there kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there are parts of the Rocketman movie that apparently they cut out of some places uh, because of, you know, on-screen content. Yeah. My pick is David Bowie. Yeah. And yeah. the actor I'm getting to play him is Roll the Drums, Eddie Redmayne. Mm, so yeah, maybe. he's played multiple roles. You know, more recently I've seen him in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find yeah. Them. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. I, I think McAvoy might be a better choice, though, because he, he, McAvoy is a bit of a chameleon, right? James McAvoy as David Bowie. David Bowie, interesting. He's not thin enough, though. Like you're right. Yeah, was... he, he, could, he could thin down. You know, if, if um, what's his name, uh, Batman, um, <laughs> Christian Bale. If Christian Bale could lose like forty pounds or whatever it was when he did. Was it the Mechanic? Yeah, the Mechanic. Something? That's a crazy movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he can do that, I'm sure McAvoy can work out a little bit and, and thin up. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Any any other any other picks for movies? Which or artist and, and who you think plays them? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, but see, the thing about it is Elton John and and uh, Freddie Freddie Mercury are are, are you know, giant stars, right? So so is David Bowie. Yeah, 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 I know. yeah, yeah not yeah, quite yeah. as big as the other two, but still. No, I think I think in, in retrospect, he I probably had more more admiration over time for Bowie than I did for either of those two. Although Elton John, yeah, I was a big fan of his when I was younger, for sure. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think actually in the in the wider music community, I think I think Elton John is is much bigger than yeah David Bowie yeah. for sure. Well, there's like there's also Phil because Phil. Collins sort of filled that role in in the 80s and 90s, right? Same kind of music. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you could even do things like, um, you know, Madonna, huge. Yeah, Cher, Madonna for sure. Huge. Yeah. yeah, Cher for sure. My guess is Buckethead. Buckethead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so who ends up playing Buckethead then? It, it doesn't matter because he'll be wearing a mask. <laughs> he'll be wearing a mask. It's just like like 20 actors. is like Tom right. Hanks in there. Buckethead could play Buckethead. We'd never Buckethead know. could play Buckethead. <laughs> it, it would actually be kind of difficult to, to find an actor who has the same basic body shape as Buckethead because he's like close to seven feet tall and, and weighs a hundred pounds. Yeah, but they could do. They could have. Uh, yeah, they could have uh, CGI play him. Right. That's true. Yeah. Or, yeah. or even just you know particular camera angles. Tom Cruise as Buckethead for like that one scene. <laughs> well, they could do like Tom they did Cruise with. Would uh, have to be standing on a on a giant box. <laughs> yeah, with like you know for, forced angles or like there's yeah. people seated below him. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. They could do like they did with that Dylan movie where they had different phases of Dylan's life and they had, you know, mm. uh, Clay Blanchett played one of them and so they could have Clay Blanchett play uh, play Buckethead at one period of his career and, you know. Well, they could have the people. same actor play him in all phases just wearing a different bucket. A different bucket, that's true. Yeah, you never the know. color of bucket over the years. <laughs> never know. Yeah, interesting. So I was surprised. So Jonathan got me uh, the the three seasons of uh, Rick and Morty for Father's Day and I, I so I watched them all thinking, uh, wondering how many of them I had not seen. I think it was probably about two or three 
three that I hadn't seen out of the whole series. But I was a little disappointed when I got to the end and I realized I'd seen the last three ones, right? We just have season four to look forward to. Mind you, I guess I could go back and watch them and look for all the Easter eggs and stuff, right? Yeah, there's there's tons of... Like, each episode is fairly self-contained, but they mm-hmm. do a lot of callbacks and yeah. one-off lines. And that's led to a whole um, fandom, like, set of theories of like, oh, who, you know, who was Rick's original Morty? Is there even an original Morty and, and other yeah. things? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, which which Morty is which? That, that was kind of, kind of a cool thing. Like, you know, like how many mm-hmm. times did they, 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 they die and just replace themselves? And Definitely plays fast and loose. And for, for being just a like a crass knockoff of Back to the Future, you know, this parody to turn mm-hmm. it into this whole empire mm-hmm. is is interesting for Justin Roiland and company. Yeah, yeah the whole uh, the whole world of Ricks, that planet of Ricks, or the, what was it, Consortium or whatever they called it? Yeah, it's like the the Council of, of Reeds or Council of Reed Richards from Fantastic yeah, yeah. Four. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of meta stuff to it. And, yeah. you know, meta stuff that happens outside. We talked about in the in the real world, McDonald's brought back the Mulan Szechuan sauce mm-hmm. and horribly fumbled the ball when it came to how many, you know, how many um, units they would need and right. woefully misunderstood how rabid the fandom is for Rick and Morty. Right. Oh, did, did, so Rick and Morty were behind the, the shortage of it or was it? Was yeah, there's there's the episode with uh, Nathan Fillion from Firefly. Yeah. He yeah. plays a, an alien in, inside of Rick's brain. Mm-hmm. And Rick makes some casual comment about how the best thing ever in his memory was the 1998 Mulan movie tie-in Szechuan sauce for the chicken nuggets at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And McDonald's like, oh, we'll bring it back. There'll be like 10 of them. <laughs> People are like, no, you need thousands of these to satiate the, the desire of, of Rick and Morty fans, just how many of them there are. Hmm. So it's Ron Bumblefoot Tall is uh, the guitarist who's playing with Asia these days. Yeah. Mark. So did he, he played trip with, uh, when he was moving around the stage? Huh? Did he trip when he was trying to move around the stage or something? No, why? Because his name is Bumblefoot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a guy who like who falls put his foot through an amp or something. Yeah, yeah he looked like he looked like um, Alice Cooper had crossed with a heavy metal guy, right? So mm. That doesn't really yeah. sound like a, a, a member of Asia. but No, no. Yeah. Right, so they, well, suppose you need a singer. You know, I hate to say but they're clearly in milking it mode at this point. Mm-hmm. Just trying to stretch it out a couple more years before they all retire. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is where they make their money, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of fun. Lots of fun for the boys and girls. Uh, you, I told about the Experience Hendrix show this year, right? Right, yeah. You mentioned it. With uh, Dweezil Zappa and uh, Joe yeah. Satriani. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good that. lineup. The lineup changes every year, so that they're doing mm-hmm. a good one here. Hmm. I don't, did they come is out it? to Toronto? or I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. If they do, it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of taking it easy on concerts these days. Like I, I still have like another four or five to go to before the end of the year, but yeah, I just try to pay back some of my visa debt after I occurred after WWDC and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, your neighbor's dog wants to come in, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's what happens when it gets the weather gets a little nicer. The dogs go inside a lot more. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. My dog's off having surgery today. No, no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, he had a uh, he had a knee surgery six months ago, and apparently they put a metal plate in his knee to well, it healed and stainless steel plate, and apparently he's allergic to the stainless steel, so they're mm-hmm. taking it out today. Yeah, so he'll be all dopey tomorrow and uh, Friday. I'll mm-hmm. probably I'll probably spend Friday. I'll work at home on Friday and just so, so what else is new? <laughs> huh? He's he's all dopey tomorrow. So I said, well, so what else is new? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dogs they do crazy things, yeah. especially when they're all drugged up. Yeah. Dogs be crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's he's quite quite uh, unusual when he's. Stuck. Owned. Yeah. 
Anyway, I guess we'll call it a day. All right. Another day. And early. How about that? All right. So talk to you later. See you guys next time. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.